Welcome to the Live Your Dance Podcast. My name is Molly King, and I'm a former corporate working girl turned author, dancer, and coach. Each week we come together to celebrate someone who has found their metaphorical dance and listen to their insights in order to inspire you to find and live your dance. Thanks for tuning in and joining me today. Now, let's dance. Guys, this episode is going to be awesome. Steph Trick has been living her dance since she was five years old without even realizing it. And since then, she's created this beautiful masterpiece of a life following that same inkling towards music. She tells us all about the good parts and the bad parts of what life is like being on the road constantly, as well as how some of those same challenges have also led to some amazing career opportunities. She also gives us the step-by-step process of how she deals with criticism, competition, and stress. And she also indulged me in telling the story of how she and her husband, who's also a fellow pro pianist, and how they met. But anyway, it's a beautifully well-rounded episode, and I can't wait for you to hear her stories. So let's get to it. And to start us off, here's a sampler of Stephanie playing the Harlem Strut. dance it's morning where I am and it's afternoon where Steph is and I'm so excited to bring on Stephanie Trick she is someone who I've gotten to watch grow up in school actually and she has now crossed the globe many times over with her music and with her talent and it's such a pleasure to see someone who knew what they loved and went after it and does it as well as she does. And Steph, I'm just so grateful and so looking forward to diving into your story today. So thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Molly. Of course, of course. Well, I really, I mean, I, I was really honored when you chose me because like, I've been watching what you've been doing. And it was really sweet that you thought of me to, to do this interview. Oh, yeah. You were on my list a long time ago, actually, <laughs> when I was like, brainstorming people because I have a list of like 60 people that were my first go around and I was like oh definitely Steph (laughs) so oh my gosh and I loved your I mean I listened to the first episode I love the one with Christina oh yay yeah it's so fun for people who know the the interviewee and like can and learn about what they're doing and because I didn't know what she was doing really and how she got into it and it was fun to hear that too yeah yeah and you two were were good, pretty good friends along the way right oh yeah so oh, I mean I, I knew that she was great at like everything but <laughs> yeah need to see I mean how she's in Germany um so you are one of the few people that I've known who seem to really track on and target what they really wanted to do and then went after it And being able to make a living as a professional musician, as many people know, is not an easy thing. And yet it looks like, I mean, to my to my perspective that you're doing it and doing it well. Um, But can you tell me a little bit about, you know, I know you started playing when you were five um, piano. And was this something that you just kind of knew innately or was it more of an exploration and it happened to fit or can you talk me through your process of realizing that music was your thing? Um, sure. Well, like you said, I started playing piano when I was five, um, and that sort of happened by accident. I guess. <laughs> um, at five, I was in a hotel with my parents um, and my grandmother, and there was a lady playing background music um, on the piano, and I had like made my way over to her, and I was really shy as a little girl, and I was just standing there watching her. I guess I had been there for a while uh, when my grandmother came over and asked this lady if she gave piano lessons, and she said she did, Uh Um, and I started taking lessons from this woman, and I stayed with her for 13 years, and she was pretty... So I basically learned how to read, like, she music before I learned how to read words. Um, Whoa! So it, it was just like... Uh, something that I chose, I was drawn to it, 
for whatever reason. And I, it was just, has always been part of my life. And my parents say that they wanted to start me off maybe when I was seven or something on some kind of instrument. Sure. But I, I beat them to it, I guess. <laughs> you were on the ball. <laughs> I love it. Um, but that, I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's an easy road. Do you feel like you've always, it's been a very clear choice for you or did you waver at all, you know, maybe later on in your years as to whether this was something you wanted to stick with? Well, um, I always loved it. There was maybe one point in my experience when I was like maybe in my early teens where I said to my parents, like, oh, I don't really want to do this anymore. It's hard. And I, I'm not doing what I like, blah, blah, blah. And, and then they were like, sure, if you want to quit, you can. I said, Hmm, I don't really want to quit. I thought they were going to fight with me a little bit more on that. <laughs> and then I stuck with it um, ever, like ever since. And in college, I, I just got more and more into it. And um, as for when I started thinking that it could be a career for me, I really didn't think I would do it professionally. I had no idea what I was going to do in college. And I was, I just chosen a good liberal arts college, the University of Chicago, and um, was just working away at my normal school studies mm-hmm. and kept taking music classes here and there until at the end of my senior year, I was like, well, I guess I could be a music major. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't really planned that much. Um, but like the moment that I actually said, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life uh, happened actually my first performance in Europe Mm. um, in my senior year of college, I had been invited to play at this um, swing piano summit, swing and stride piano summit in a little town outside of Zurich, Switzerland. And actually that happened because of some fan that had seen me on YouTube. (laughs) So thank you, YouTube. Yeah, seriously. Um, Yeah. And, um, and so I had I'd gone over there, and just seeing me, there were six pianists, um, two beautiful grand Steinway pianos, mm. and it was in this old church from the 1300s, 400 or 300 fans who are like super, super aficionados, and they know everything about this music. And there was a guy who said to me before the concert started, if you do well here, you'll always come back to Europe. <laughs> no pressure. Said, no pressure there. <laughs> yeah, I I had never really seen this music played um, by people who had made it. It's, I mean, I had sort of gotten into playing early jazz through transcription, so I didn't really know anyone who was improvising in a live, uh, living way using that language um, currently. And they were improvising these these other pianists, and it was just amazing. And they were doing it such a high caliber that I said, I have to learn how they're doing this. Yeah, and yeah. That was like the like really really turning point for me. And I went back. I finished my senior year. It was like this concert happened maybe in my first quarter of my senior year, and I still I was like applying for all sorts of internships and and jobs. <laughs> None of them had like gotten back to me yet and I just said this is what I want to do I want to perform learn how to play this this kind of music get myself into the world of like classic jazz and swing and that was it wow wow that's that's really neat though that you put yourself in a position where you really could explore it and then when the one that really caught you you were able to go after it so that's really neat and can you clarify, are they improvising in stride? Yeah, I mean, this concert, that, um, this one in Switzerland, they were improvising like in the stride piano style, which is sort of Bats Waller, James B. Johnson, using the left hand in a, in a way to hit a bass note and then hit a chord. Mm-hmm. And, and then the right hand is improvising. I mean, it's, it's a pretty intense way to get into improvisation. <laughs> Just thinking about like a single melody line and chords, you're like also doing this sort of act, like gymnastic thing with your left hand, yeah. and and you're jumping all over the place. So you have to get that down, and you're also improvising with your choice of bass notes, how you want to like make the bass notes connect into a nice melodic line if you want, and then mm. and then the right hand there, there. I mean, you can improvise. You can use stride 
sort of stride licks and then and so they were doing that kind of improvisation and I had been previously exposed to jazz maybe from the 50s and mm-hmm. 60s and I thought you know this is nice but I eventually sort of fell away from that in college got more into classical music and was just playing ragtime on the side but neither one of them was a choice for me to like really pursue professionally yeah yeah and that's that's what I love too because even for me kind of watching your path from afar the the stride style kind of surprised me as as to what you picked and then when I see you play it, it just, it makes so much sense. I mean, to see not only how accurate and articulate you are with the notes, but also just the joy that I see, especially when I see you and Paolo, your husband, playing together. I'll definitely link to some of the, the clips on YouTube that I've been looking at, and um, and that music sample at the beginning of the interview is, was that stride style. And I don't know if people totally appreciate it until they see it, because it, you know, it's such a kind of ingrained 1920s, 1930s, you know, silent movies kind of thing that we're like, oh, yeah, whatever. But it's actually really athletic and difficult and <laughs> has needs to have a lot of accuracy. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a it's a happy form of music. I mean, it's not all happy. You can I mean, it can express a lot of things, but it's definitely more tilted towards the, the happier yeah. side of the emotions. But, I mean, yeah, you have to be accurate. You have to have a certain level of just technical skills to mm-hmm. play it. And it's really important in the history of jazz because, it, like you said, it was kind of interesting to see that I chose this kind of music to pursue. Most people don't even know what it is. They're like, oh, slide? What's that? Yeah. <laughs> and, it, I mean, it's not even in... And people just think of Miles Davis as being jazz. Whereas, yeah. I mean, there's so much more, like, you know, I mean, before Miles Davis, who is, of course, amazing, but there's a whole world of jazz that came before. And this particular kind of piano jazz was like transitioning between ragtime and, like, not improvised forms of music, marches and um, so forth, and into, like, piano jazz, which is improvised and swings. And ragtime didn't swing. You know, it's, it wasn't, mm. it wasn't at that point yet. And, um, and so stride is like that linking style. Interesting. So it's really important. Yeah. Well, yeah, it really becomes a cornerstone for what, I mean, that whole period of music has just evolved so much in the 1900s. It's, it's a fascinating study if anyone has studied it or feels oh, inclined to. It's just, I haven't done incredible depth into that but the little bit that I've done and since I played a little bit of piano getting that history and music theory and where did this come from kind of thing it's it's fascinating it's so fun to see you doing it someone noted that you're you're able you're one of the few people who's been able to play it at speed and even faster than speed I think than it's been done in years as well which I think is a great accomplishment so (laughs) well tell me now a little bit just about how you kind of view your philosophy on work because this isn't a typical nine to five obviously you're traveling and performing and I don't know if you teach as well but what have you kind of culminated as your philosophy on how work should feel or the idea of having a real job you know a a cookie cutter cubicle job or you know I would love to just know your perspective on on work and how you view it for yourself or for other people wow yeah I mean, the kind of work that I'm in is not typical in any way, because being a musician, well, for me, I, it means traveling. I'm, so I'm traveling all the time, and I'm home in, I'm in Milan or in St. Louis pretty rarely, maybe on average five days, seven days a month. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's, and that part can be taxing. I mean, it's definitely worth it when you know, you get to think about the places that you go and the people you meet and the experiences that you have traveling. It's definitely worth it. But Mm -hmm. that part of the work kind of throws off any attempt that you can make to have sort of a routine, which is also helpful in, in like being productive. Like every day you get up, you work three hours in the morning on, uh, like on the piano and then three hours on emails and, and then you, you make arrangements for now. You know, it, it would be nice to have that kind of a routine, but 
unfortunately you come home for a day and you have to do laundry and fill your suitcase with clean clothes. <laughs> so oh, those things. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, logistics are pretty complicated for this kind of lifestyle. So work happens anytime. Like anytime I'm feeling like energized and like I, I want to attack a few emails. I want to um, practice, come up with some arrangements or learn some new songs. That's when I do it. I can, I figured out how to practice like wherever I am sort of mentally, which is oh, wow. really useful. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you can learn songs when you're on a plane or wherever you are, even if you're not at your, I mean, if you have a clarinet or some instrument you carry with you, you can practice in a hotel room. But if you're a pianist, you're kind of out of luck. You don't have a piano all the time. Right. So, you know, for learning tunes, because there are so many standards that, a professional musician should know in this field and that's one of the things that I, I really am working on I mean I can just be looking at, at a song with the chords and listen to the listen to different versions of, of the song and, and kind of learn it that way hmm. um, and so just like being creative with being able to work wherever you are like I get some of my best work done in airports where I have no distractions Yes. And I can't, like, do anything else except work on things that I need to get done. I think, like, my philosophy on work is also, I mean, Paolo and I tend to be workaholics in a way. I mean, because we love what we do so much. We like working on a tour for the upcoming year or month or whatever is exciting um, for us because it means we'll get to perform together. We'll get to play in, in nice places working for a CD. We have two CDs that we're working on now. And so these things are like stimulating. So it's yeah. hard just to like detach and say, okay, well, let's just watch a movie now. Um, so we, we work a lot because we love it. Um, but together with the, with the work, everything related to the business and the creative side of being a musician, we also like keep our families in a really high priority. Hmm. Um, because we're away so much, whenever we're in one of our two, like, bases, we try to spend as much time as possible with his parents or with my mom, and, um, I mean, we see a lot of musicians who, uh, who work a ton, but then they don't get to see their families, or right. they don't put a lot of emphasis on, like, I don't know, being just all, all around good human beings. Right. Tend, like, <laughs> one-dimensional, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. And they can, you know, they can be fantastic improvisers or whatever arrangers, but then you like get to know them and you say, well, something's missing here. Yeah. And we, we both put a lot of importance. I mean, we share the same values and I mean, we want to also like bring that side of ourselves, um, like always be, be working on improving ourselves, not just musically. Oh, wow. I love hearing that because I do think the the perception is when you get to that level, it is just kind of a highlight, a headlight tractor beam of, of focus of just that's all you do, everything around it, which I do love because to some extent it just shows that you're in a place now where you don't want to escape your quote unquote work. It's it's not something that you're living for the weekends or your vacation or you know, it, it provides you with all the values that you love and appreciate, the travel and the variety and the challenge and growth, and yet you're still getting to be immersed in what you do and to be able to find someone and marry someone who's similarly wired so they don't feel bad that you're always working. They're right alongside you, if not literally beside you. What a what an amazing gift to have and share between you two. That's really beautiful, and I'm excited for you guys too because that just means that more good things are going to come from it. There's definitely something that happens, like we said, when you become charged with the excitement of it, and that just leads, it's it's a momentum, it's a snowball effect, I would imagine, and that's what I feel in my work too, which I'm so grateful for, but to know that what you're doing matters and that it fills you up and it fills other people up, it's just a huge win-win for everyone, which I love. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree with you completely. I mean we're both doing something that we love. And so when you do, when you like put effort into your work now, you see an effect like right away. And I've never worked in corporate and maybe you can like <laughs> enlighten me, but I feel like in making, 
may be other jobs that like require less of you, all of you. Um, maybe you put in a work, but you don't see the results or maybe you just, I don't know. I don't know if it gives you back as much. Yeah. Um, yeah. For, for this kind of work, like Powell and I both feel, I mean, if we put time into the musical aspect of things, we see like an immediate, uh, or immediate result. You know, the people, you, you feel the energy coming from the people who, who see you play. And um, I mean, it's just really rewarding in that way too. That, that gives you more energy to go on and to like push yourself to, to, to do more and to like, you know, not just sort of sit back. You could, I guess, if you get to the point where you're traveling a lot, you could just say, well, I don't need to learn more songs or whatever. But yeah. usually, I mean, it's for your own sanity that you keep learning new things. <laughs> and like being this busy and, um, and having so many concerts for me is really inspiring because especially when I'm in situations with other musicians, that's the time where I really feel like I get inspiration because usually um, when you're in uncomfortable situations where you think, gosh, I wish I learned, I wish I knew like a thousand more songs than I do know or whatever, you know, the thing you don't know is um, in whatever field you're in, when you go home, you're filled with all of this like fire that you need to learn more. And it, it gives you more of that drive than if you just stay at home and you're like practicing six hours a day. When you go out and into your field and you like see other people doing it at such a high level and then you and you feel like you want to be doing it like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, that gives you so much to go back and, and to work on. I mean, when I go to festivals, music festivals, and I hear other bands or I sit in with musicians or I'm playing with a band. You know, I, I've like filled my notebooks with songs I want to learn and, oh. and recordings I want to hear and things like that. Oh, that's really neat. But I think a, a key point there is that Stephanie isn't taking those moments and falling into a comparison mode and then getting depressed about how she's not knowing as many songs or maybe not as good as so-and-so or whatever. It's something that fuels the urgency and the drive. So I think that's something I've found in my in my dance community too, where it's very easy to see people who are doing people who are doing things, you know, with with beautiful styling, or they just they flow in the dance, and there's something about that, and it could be very easy to say, well, I'm never going to be as good as that person, and yet to take it and and my mission now has been whenever I see something like that it's to go and compliment that person and build them up because, you know, to me, I think that saying of rising tide makes all boats rise. Yeah. You know, it's that, it's that concept of supporting one another, especially women in the dance when it's very competitive, um, or can be, it's just, it's so much more rewarding to just acknowledge the good and acknowledge what we see and then, yeah, let it drive you to be better. And, and do you feel like that's an issue at all in your community where there's a lot of competition or comparison, or is it pretty much a very supportive musical atmosphere? I mean, I would say this is a very small community, relatively speaking. I mean, when you think that classic jazz is itself like comprises a community, and then beyond that, there's like mainstream jazz, which is bigger, and then there's like pop music, which is the rest of the world, it seems like. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, we're a pretty small community, so I know almost everyone all over the world mm. pretty much doing this kind of music. And I would be lying if I didn't say there's a lot of rivalry and there, you know, there can be all sorts of drama and, you know, be, sure. but, you know, I feel like it is sort of a family. And in a family, you're not always like hugging and kissing, you know, you're, yeah. there could be some rivalry within a family, um, but a lot of the musicians are so supportive and um and they're the ones that are not like what I've found because it is it has been hard for me because I got into playing this kind of music pretty late um I started improvising in this style only like five years ago and most people grew up with it their their dad was like Paolo's father is a huge jazz fan. He's an amateur musician, 
Um, and he played in all these Dixieland bands. So Paolo oh. played in these Dixieland bands since he was like 10. Wow. And, and a lot of the musicians my age have similar stories. Like they started listening to Louis Armstrong when they were eight or whatever. And, yeah. and just grown up with this was part of their blood. Whereas I feel like I've been in this constant state of sort of catching up, mm. um, which is not like a happy thing to feel. Um, and what the way that I found how to deal with certain musicians who have sort of gotten on my case and, um, and criticized me for whatever reason, I don't know enough tunes or, um, you know, it, they, they don't think I'm taking it seriously, which is not really true. Yeah. <laughs> I just, like, think I take most seriously. Um, I, I have come to realize that when someone criticizes you and says something that, you know, that you could improve on, whether it be constructive or whether it be meant to hurt you, the thing that you should do is look at that criticism and evaluate it and say, are they saying something that's true? If they're saying something that's true, then you know yourself that you have to work on those things and you'll, you will work on them and you'll get better. Mm -hmm. If they're saying something that you don't fully agree with, then all you've learned is what their tastes are that they don't like that. that, that, I mean, they've only expressed an opinion that they have that doesn't need to tell you anything. So Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really helpful to me because it just tells you about that person, you know, whatever that, whatever it may be, maybe they're, they're frustrated or they don't like certain things, but that doesn't mean that that has to govern your life. Oh, I love that. And, and I think that's valuable in any field. It doesn't matter Mm -hmm. where you are, but yeah, I've definitely heard it say, especially with little kids with a bully or something, whenever they're in attack mode it's either well any action I should say backing up any behavior any action is either an affirmation of love or a cry for love and so I think a lot of people who tend to attack others to try to make themselves feel better it's a way for them to quote-unquote get love in that form that they think is satisfying which may or may not be the case but I agree if it's if it's unfounded then no need to worry about it. And if it is true, then it's, you know, to have the humility to look inside and say, all right, well, that's feedback, and I can move forward and take it and use it to get better. Exactly, exactly. But I wanted to, like, talk about this one experience. Sure, this one that, um So I can't illustrate how friendly and welcoming this community is and not just say, you know, talk about the negative sides of it right i mean it's a great community of musicians and they're they're young people playing this music too like more in the last 10 years or whatever um so it's it's really vibrant community and when i entered it in 2008 in switzerland um i didn't know anything about it i was just basically playing ragtime and and transcriptions and stride pieces and when i met up with five other pianists and Paolo was there too which was a really neat part of the story um I I went on stage there I was so nervous because I thought you know this is my debut in Europe and I have to do well (laughs) and I was just like really overcome by my nerves and I screwed up like I really really messed up and I thought that's it. I want to quit. I never want to play music again. <laughs> Too humiliating. I can't go on like this. Oh. And and those pianists, like all of them, were so supportive, and they were like, "You should listen to this music, and here's some recordings that you just have to know." And they all sort of supported me in their in different ways. And and Paolo was there writing out chords for me for the songs I had to play. Anyway, that was a really, really uncomfortable moment, as you could probably imagine. Yeah. And that moment for me, like, since then, and uh, for, like, really, really intensely for the next five or six years, became sort of this moment for me that I would look at and measure myself, uh, how far I'd come from that moment. And, you know, a year later, I, I thought, oh, look how much I've learned since then. And then three years later, and then five years later... And I, and I look back on that, and that became, like, my sort of impetus to, to sort of just launch myself in, into studying this music and, and meeting up with as many people. Like, in the first few years after that, I called people.
people. I emailed people for advice for, mm. um, like if I could, I would visit people. My parents were so good about that. They were like, go visit, you know, if you want to go spend a day with this person because they're an expert in, in stride or in swing or whatever, go, go visit them. And so oh, I, wow. I visited musicians and they were all so, so generous with their time and their knowledge. Um, and so that, experience a really uncomfortable experience in Switzerland became this like really important experience for me because without that I would never have like been driven to get into it so deeply hmm. so I've so many things have changed and the way I, I approach music I don't know it's, it's hard to explain um how I've sort of relaxed in the way that I play I mean when I first started playing um Every concert was super important, and I really didn't want to mess up. And afterwards, if it had gone well, you know, I was super happy. After, If it didn't go well, I got really, really sad and, and down for a while. And yeah. now, maybe it's because I play so much more. I mean, I'm, I'm constantly performing. So one of the things that Paolo has taught me is to put things into perspective. I mean, always to say, like, if you look at your life, your life is not one concert and how you do in one concert. Your life is a trajectory and that one concert is one of, you know, thousands of concerts that you'll play yeah. in your life. And how you do in one concert shouldn't determine how you feel about everything. Mm. And it's it's I haven't really figured out how to say it, um, but my attitude towards performing and towards improvising, I think with improvising what really but the thing you really need to do is just throw yourself into it and not care if it doesn't sound great. And that's the thing that I've had with Paolo. He's been so helpful in helping me improvise. And he never teaches me anything. He doesn't say, you know, no, no, play this, play this instead. Hmm. He doesn't say anything hardly. He just says, okay, well, that note probably doesn't sound so great here. And try this chord instead. But he's he's really not like super hands-on because he's six years older than I am, and he's, he's okay. had a lot more experience in, in playing with bands and, and uh, um, soloing and not just playing arrangements. Um, and so he's, he's uh, sort of let me do whatever I want, and I know when I feel like it's not the best improvisation. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't, he never makes me feel bad, and... I, and it's really opened me up to, to say, okay, well, I'll just try this. I'll see what happens. Yeah. And before, maybe um, I was used to playing classical music or ragtime, and I would think, you know, i got to play it perfectly. If I if I try to do something improvised that doesn't come out right, then yeah. I'll be really embarrassed. And I think that sort of letting yourself go and saying, I'll just throw myself into it and see what happens uh, is, like, the most freeing thing. It, man, that's... I think that hits the nail on the head for for so many. And and like you said, I think it's kind of a, maybe in business they call it the law of diminishing return, but it's opposite. It's, you know, the more, the more concerts you have, the percentage of how much each one matters goes down. And then if you only did one or two concerts, then of course, like, yeah, they would be a big deal. And I was actually just coaching someone on that with YouTube videos because she's a singer and... It was, you know, I asked her if she had any YouTube videos out there. She said no, and she was, you know, scared that people wouldn't like it or whatever. And I was like, well, yeah, if you only have one video and it sucks, that is scary. <laughs> but if you have, like, 50 videos and one of them isn't great, no one's going to care. You know, they're going to see your body of work. And I think that's, as a writer, as a dancer, as a musician, as any kind of an artist or even, you know, in business with products... It's about the body of work. It's about the product line as a whole and the standard of quality that you hold overall on average. Exactly. Exactly. Like, if you take one photo, you're not a photographer. (laughs) No. Like, that's, I mean, Paolo's and I, and Paolo and my approach in in the last couple of years, we've been really, really kind of busy with things outside of music, so we haven't had the time until the last, know six months or so to really focus on music again and it's been amazing Mm. and our sort of um attitude right now is to be as prolific as possible Mm. and it's like when you look at writers like i mean you're you're a writer you write every day and you you like hear about 
um, famous authors, how they at least write, you know, four pages a day. They just get something down. Yeah. And that's the point. I mean, Duke Ellington produced so much music, and maybe some of it is is not as like, um, you know, it's not the top of his work. He just produced. He, I mean, and that's that's the point of being an artist or a musician, any kind of creative thing is just to put out a lot of material. Yeah, and I think a great tag-along point is to, there's there's a balance, I guess, of what I call a healthy detachment, of especially with art that is very soul-wrenching, or it's like digging in your soul and burying it out there, and being very vulnerable with music or with writing or whatnot. There's still, and even with very happy, positive stuff too, there has to be an, a, a, a detachment in how, like you were saying, how you don't identify yourself with it anymore it's okay to be not perfect it's okay to try new things because it doesn't rep like that one song does not represent you on a whole and to understand that and then to be able to have the freedom in the art to then explore your potential instead of thinking that everything you do has to be you know a winner um is yeah. is a big thing too I think for a lot of artists right right I mean it can it can get in the way if you think everything you do has to be perfect. And in any way, even if you wanted it to be perfect, you can't really change the way you play or the way you dance. I mean, that's the way you dance. That's yeah. the way you play. So even if sometimes it is hard not to compare yourself when, when you're up against other, you see other dancers or other musicians and you say, gosh, they really know more than I do in this and this and this. I mean, it's hard not to compare yourself. But even if you were, you know, even if you said, well, I would like to play like them. You know, if some musician comes to hear me at a festival, sometimes I think, oh, I should change the way I play because I know what their sort of philosophy is about yeah. music. Yeah. And I shouldn't do certain songs. But anyway, I can't change the way I play. That's mm -hmm. the way I am. So mm -hmm. you, that's sort of a useless train of thought to, to start going down. Yeah, because honestly, I, I absolutely agree. There's a reason why they're good at what they do, and it's because they've dug into who they are and embraced it, and then now they're they're really great at it. And so to look at that, not everyone can be the Tatiana Molman of West Coast Swing, you know, or the Jessica Cox or even the Maxence for guys. There's a reason why we love who they are and what they do is because they have their own brand, essentially. And if you were to try to copy that brand it wouldn't be nearly as powerful. But then to, like, figure out your own, your own style and who you are and with your quirks and, you know, maybe the humor within it or the whatever it is, then yeah. that's what draws people in because it's like, whoa, like, we've never seen that combination before because it's you. It's it's the Steph trick of stride. It's, you know, whatever it is. And, and thank goodness because that's where, you know, new stuff, the innovation comes from, and that's what creates you know, the spice of the music and the culture and the momentum of where that is going. Right. I mean, it, you can sort of get into copying the greats that have gone before you and get, like, I definitely started in that way where mm -hmm. I, I would copy. I think a lot of jazz musicians, all of them have to start out by copying, yeah. you know, Louis Armstrong's solo on West End Blues, that you just got to know those things and you have to listen how they made their souls how they built their souls and sometimes you can get in I find myself getting to the rut where I think well they're so perfect that way why would I want to change them yeah. I mean, how can I even play something or maybe I'm trying to copy a solo of a pianist and and I'm, I'm trying to figure out how they played a certain thing and I and I don't get that but I I have something that's easier for me I mean you have to think that when they do something when great artists do something they're doing something that comes naturally to them they're not like imitating someone else Errol Garner didn't have any you know technical background but with the way that he played was him and it came out that way naturally hmm. Art Tatum played you know that many notes no one else can play like Art Tatum he played like that because that's how he was and that those things came easy to him um and so we all have something that comes naturally to us and, and I mean, Paolo has a way of saying that, you know, just play something when I say, oh, I can't do this. I don't, he's like, just play it and then let it rest. And your, your brain sort of elaborates on it when you're not working on it. Yeah. You go back and it's true. Like 
you really you bring more to it after you've you've taken a little bit of a rest and your mind kind of embellishes what you know it's been working while you haven't been yeah and sometimes I find that just playing something over and over and seeing where my fingers naturally want to go that's like leading me more towards my own style yeah um and and that, I mean that's just a matter of doing something a lot like you find your style when you, when you do it a lot and you let yourself experiment and I think there's there's even letting go of to add on to it and letting go of your own self-judgment within the process because yeah. I know that that's been something that even within the process I'm like oh this doesn't look right or it doesn't feel right and and like you said le- letting your fingers like calming down and listening to yourself and letting your natural influences take you where you want to go that mm-hmm. starts to reveal more and more and excavate you know more of your style your specific style which I love so are there ever days when you don't want to play or you don't want to wake up and go play a concert or how do you if you have those days how do you deal with that I mean sometimes it can be just plain old being tired and and not feeling like I have the energy to do it um but the, I mean one of the things that's that's great as is having Paolo by my side and having the support from our parents um, and I mean, when Paolo and I are together, because sometimes we have to travel um, separately, which is not fun, but it happens yeah. every once in a while. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's we both kind of encourage the other person because it's uh, rare that we're both down at the same time. Um, hmm. And one of the nice things about being married to a musician, we've been married for like a year and a half now. Okay. Um, that the other person understands everything. I mean, whatever emotion that I'm feeling, and it's usually related to music in some way, <laughs> um, uh, he gets it, and I get him. And um, I've been in other relationships where where the other person had another job, and it was it, it was always hard because you had to explain yourself, and they wouldn't get, you know, if you wanted needed to practice they wouldn't understand the idea of practicing and if you were down maybe they wouldn't really know how to get you back into it again yeah but I think just having for me it's I'm just really fortunate to have Paolo um and and because the the life of a musician is full of sacrifices I mean you you sacrifice maybe having time with friends you sacrifice having a routine that that can be really healthy, I think, to have a routine and, and it keeps you on track. And it's so you make these sacrifices and you meet a lot of people, which I think a lot of people look at our lives like, wow, you guys get to travel all the time. And oh, I'd love to leave, you know, this, this town or whatever and do what you're doing. Exactly. But then you think that you don't really get to get deep into friendships with people. You just, you're right. never there for more than a few days. And so it's kind of a lonely. Yes. Um, lifestyle. We've yes. chosen it. And if we were not together, not really have anyone as a, to like bounce ideas off of because you don't really have roots. I mean, right. in the same way that other people can living in one place. So to have each other makes, makes us feel like we're home wherever we are. And I mean, I'm just fortunate beyond words to be in this situation. Oh, I love that idea of of you to create your home as you travel along, which, which is beautiful. And if you don't mind me getting a little personal, do you mind sharing the story of, of how you met or what attracted you to each other and, and how that went along? Because I think it's not, it's not a coincidence that you're both doing what you love and then getting to find someone who does that with you, you know, is, is part of that journey and how... I think people think of work as this kind of separate container and this is where work happens and then this is my social life and that's where that happens. And yet being able to blend the two, how does that enrich both of your lives and, and what was the process that you two kind of went through? Wow, I, I mean so many things are coming to mind. Like, <laughs> like tell me about it. And I had sort of looked up up to him, thinking, oh, 
Yeah, right. And uh, I thought, well, you know, I'll just, I, I won't even go down that road. Um, we saw each other again a couple years later at other festivals. And at the end of 2010, we saw each other one more time. And, you know, we found out that we both liked each other. <laughs> Oh, wow. No, it's all the same, I'm sure. It's just another day. definitely think that relationships should be a blessing and not a burden in any way and to see the way that it it helps catapult both of you even further down the rabbit hole of music and into what you love I mean what could be better that's kind of the bonus the jackpot right there um so just to kind of switch gears back into the way you think and your philosophy on on things Um, would you say that, this just fascinates me, but, you know, would you say you have a mission statement or, you know, a reason why you love doing and creating and sharing the music that you do? Is there something, a driving belief or philosophy that is inside you? Well, I think my parents really raised me with a sense of wanting to give to others and to, to make other people happy. And also to share whatever talent I had mm-hmm. um, in an unselfish way, in a, like a non-egotistical way. Um, and they really instill these values in me, um, being humble and, and not not getting your head, letting your head get too big for anything. Um, and so the fact that I found something that I love doing so much and that I see that it can give so much joy to other people when I share it 
would like to cultivate this gift or this talent that I have for doing certain things in music and an ability to share it because maybe some people could be talented but they don't like performing or they they're better at other things they're better at teaching but for me like my my venue for sharing this is performing mm-hmm. I get a lot from it and I see you know when I see that other people in different situations you know I've played in homes um for for older people and there was this one time where I played a concert there and they had been some of them were in wheelchairs they'd come to hear it and there was this one man who had not left his room in 16 years and he came out that day to the, to the little room where I was playing because he heard music that reminded him of his childhood and his oh. teens and you know it's that kind of thing you know where you, you see what effect this music has on people and this music in particular because People of that generation, you know, when they hear these songs, it takes them back. Right back. I love the ability to be able to give people sort of part of their their adolescence back and their happy, happy times to remind them of that. And, I mean, even people who are younger, when they listen to this music, it all, it's, it's happy music. And so it just, it can transmit that to people of any age, really. That, yeah, wow, that is kind of the ultimate sweet spot, I would say. And how cool, I mean, I think even as young people hearing that kind of music, it still feels nostalgic. I mean, we were never there, but, you know, there's just something about it that it's romantic and it's, I don't know. respect for people of that generation and I've done actually some some really fun and rewarding volunteer work with with elderly homes and getting to hear the stories and that lifestyle and the values and and just getting to kind of touch that era because it is such a golden age Um, it's such a special opportunity and an honor to be able to either relive it or like you recreate it which I think is so powerful and and then to see the faces of people you know light up because of it what I mean that must be just such a joy to see it is it really is so rewarding wow so well what do you think as you and Paolo are working on cds and or albums sorry and um and doing more performances how do you see this growing or what's the vision that you have as you progress in your career for yourself? I mean, our, our lives will sort of go on in the same sort of same way. I guess the more we, we do these things, maybe there will be nicer concerts and different projects. We'll, we'll always, we'll try to keep playing together, you know, and, and create new things. I mean, playing together in four hands on one piano, playing classic jazz in that way is a new thing and I don't and I don't think it's been done before so we have no one to copy which is which is really good and challenging because we have to find out how to voice things in a way that works and where you don't say well a, a single pianist could do could do the same thing and maybe they could do it better you know yeah or, yeah so that's our it's always really interesting when we start playing together to find out how to play together in four hands and now we play with a trio how to play together hmm. with a trio but, I mean, besides the music, I think it's really great when people use their music to to have an effect on the community and to, you know, outside of music, to 
and raise awareness about certain things and just to help the society and and use the fact that people sort of look at you. I mean, we, we're more in the public than maybe some people who do other jobs are. And so sure. to use that for a good cause and not just to like keep playing music um, for our own benefit, but to benefit others as well and yeah. to share that. Yeah, definitely. It becomes just kind of a ripple effect. And, yeah. and this is what I love is to show what's possible and that this level of existence <laughs> is is possible where where the work is the play and it's possible to make a living it's possible to find a relationship even though like you said it could be a very isolating profession and that's actually something that I've found as I've been a traveler as well for the past few years I was home a few times you know a month or maybe not at all <laughs> um <laughs> And what that's like, and it can be very lonely and very tiring, and sometimes you just want to go home and be able to have a kitchen and have a sense of routine, like you said, but how amazing it can be to go after what you love and the values that you really do prioritize and then be able to find someone who does that as well and and be able to live your life and sustain it that way is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, well... It's, it's really, I mean, it seems like it was just happenstance, but it's hard to believe that all these things could have happened. Yeah, <laughs> you know? and line like, up. Yeah, so, um, I mean, we've seen some things that people have done with music, like helping youth stay off the streets, and, you know, having, there's an orchestra in Naples that um, is in one of the really, really sketchy parts of Naples, and they have this, amazing this amazing priest who has started so many programs and one of them is an orchestra comprised of kids who never even had touched an instrument before and being involved with that orchestra has like kept them off the streets given them sort of a purpose like changed their whole outlook on life I mean things like that we haven't even really imagined how we want to have an effect socially but I think there are so many possibilities you know, once you get to a certain point in your life where you can really start having an effect on your society. Definitely. Well, and you've already seen it as a recipient with the people who've been willing to, you know, host you and share yeah. their knowledge of the music. And I'm sure, I mean, as someone who's, I've been in that position too, it just, it makes you want to do the same thing for new and upcoming, you know, musicians or artists as well. And, and to pass that legacy on which I think yeah. is great too. So we're getting to the point where we should probably wrap up, even though I'm loving this conversation and love what you have to share. What would you say, you kind of mentioned it, but just to circle back a little bit, but when when things get a little challenging or you reach kind of a, a low point, which I'm sure happens every now and then, who would you say or what do you go to to lean on through those times? Well, I mean... I, I of course lean on Paolo and and my mom. I leaned on my dad a lot too. He passed on two years ago, but mm-hmm. he was a great source of support for me as well. Just keeping things in perspective, I think, is something that really can help anyone get out of whatever sort of mire they're in mentally. Just to to take stock of things and and think, you know, if you're doing something that you love, there can be ups and downs, but but you really have to just always remind yourself, you know, I'm doing this because this gives me so much joy. And and even if I feel like, oh, maybe I was the subject of criticism or I don't feel good enough, the way that you can feel can change every day. But it, the, the fact that you love that should is always constant. And I think that's that's really the thing that keeps that keeps me going. That's a great point. And just to tangent real quick the day I actually launched the podcast I was upset about something and my brother happened to call me and he's like do you realize like let's just take a moment and step back a second you just launched a podcast you're going skiing today because you can and you're dating a great guy and you have this and you're getting to travel blah blah blah, all this stuff and I was like oh yeah oh yeah oh right okay my life isn't that hard all right I'm good (laughs) that you know like oh my life's so complicated and you know I get down about 
whatever it may be. And Powell will say, look, we both are doing something we love. We're married. We have wonderful parents. We travel all over the world. We see places that, I mean, we went to, we went through the Panama Canal playing on a jazz cruise. We went to Tahiti playing on a jazz cruise. We <laughs> go to festivals all over Europe and Japan and the U.S. Your life is not so bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, like, uh, oh, yeah. It's a good perspective, especially when things like the earthquake in Nepal hit or, or something like that. And it just, yeah, you know, exactly. we remember that right. we are really blessed and there is always yeah. something to be grateful for. Which actually leads me to my next question is, what are you most grateful for today? I mean, I, I think looking back my life, I would never have guessed that I would be doing something like this today traveling with something that I love and I think the the neat thing is that this lifestyle has become really natural to me and I've accepted like all the parts of it and I'm just really grateful that I'm sharing it with an incredible human being and and the fact that we share it together it just like doubles our joy because you know when when you have something great and you like can share that excitement with someone else it like solidifies that great experience in your mind and just, I don't know, makes your soul so rich. And, mm. and I couldn't be more grateful for all the things that I have in my life right now. And I never would have imagined this five years ago or 10 years ago that, that music would have taken me here to something that I think now, you know, I go back and forth between the U.S. And, and Europe, and I don't really think anything of it anymore. It's just become natural and normal, sort of right. like normal routine. Yeah. The whole thing, every aspect of it, when you put it all together, becomes a masterpiece of, of art. And I think yeah. Yeah. it's what you do is kind of a microcosm of what your whole life is creating. Yeah. Yeah. I love that idea, like living your life as a work of art. Yeah, definitely. And just to finish off here, what would you say is your definition of living your dance? I love that term that you that you use. Uh, and I would say that it would mean doing the thing that you love, not just as a hobby. I mean, you can approach it as a hobby, but even more than that, it's doing it with an intensity and a motivation to do it at the highest possible level. So whether it's your work, where you're living your dance, um, doing something that you love for your work, you do that at the highest possible level, but always maintaining that that spirit of playfulness and joy that got you into it in the first place. So mm. I think, I mean, that's how I would characterize living your dance when when your play becomes when that like boundary between play and work kind of becomes blurry, and it just is all one thing. I mean, I don't really think of work or play anymore I just love what I do and <laughs> all the things that sort of come out of that yeah no I, I love that and what a great way to put it just blurring that line so that you don't even know which one you're doing but it feels <laughs> great <laughs> yeah that's awesome well where can for people who want to get involved with you know your concert schedule or your music where can they find you online I have a website stephanietrick.com and I put on all my concerts on the schedule page and there's a CDs page too so they're all listed there and I'm on YouTube and Paolo and I are on YouTube as well oh wonderful and you have a Facebook page as well yeah I do um and it's just my name. I think so. I'll I'll put all the links to them on the show notes so that people can can just, follow yeah. up. Well, this has been such a fun interview, Steph. I'm so glad we've gotten to reconnect and it's been way too long, but I've been watching and admiring your journey from afar, so I'm just so grateful to see you happy and doing what you love and and know that it's inspiring so many people. So, thank you for what you've done to get to where you are. Thank you so much for having me again, Molly, and it's been a pleasure being on your show. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye. Well, there you have it. 
Thanks again for listening and be sure to like, share, and comment on the podcast or around social media. Hashtag live your dance and look forward to more episodes coming your way. Have a great day and be sure to live your dance.